Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. One of my favorite topics of conversation to actually speak with people about on the story box is really unboxing more about this idea of trauma. I mean, I think we are still learning so much about how trauma affects each and every one of us, especially myself, having gone through a number of traumatic experiences in my life. I am fascinated with healing techniques, with understanding more about trauma in the first place. And that is why I'm excited to share with you this conversation with my very good friend, Susie Zinn, or Susan Zinn, as she is formerly known as. She is the transformational trauma therapist. As a licensed psychotherapist, uh, behavioral researcher, certified trauma and eating disorder specialist, and the founder of Westside Counseling Center, Susie helps people heal from trauma and transform their lives through a practice centered on accessing the intelligence of their hearts. She is a national speaker, author, and media spokesperson. Susie is a resident of President Obama's Volunteer Service Award and has been published in Forbes magazine, The New York Post, Science Times, and LA Parent magazine, among many, many others. As a board-certified national clinical counselor and licensed psychotherapist, in California and New York, Susie is passionate about working with teenagers and adults who want more out of life. Susie received her Master's of Arts in Mental Health and Wellness Counseling from New York University as well. Her graduate research was at the forefront of groundbreaking science in wellness, exploring what drives us towards post-traumatic growth, which is a very interesting topic uh, as well. She completed her postgraduate training at the Institute of Contemporary Psychotherapy Trauma Study Center, in addition to a two-year training program in integrative trauma studies. As a mental health advocate, Susie volunteered as an emergency room uh, sexual assault advocate at St. Vincent's Hospital in New York City. She's trained in women's health uh, at Planned Parenthood and supported uh, economic 
economically, if I could say that correctly, disadvantaged individuals developing crucial life skills at Venice Family Clinic in Los Angeles. So she has a lot of qualifications and she's done a lot of amazing things. But one thing that I love the most about Susie is her heart for and, and just sheer kindness towards people in general. She is seriously a bright spark in this dark world and she's trying to bring so much light to this world and that I will forever uh, be admired by, appreciate and forever love about Susie. She has become such a good friend uh, over this last year and a bit. We connected uh, not that long ago, actually, and finally made a podcast episode happen. We've been talking about it for quite some time, but I really, really enjoyed speaking with Susie and could could have done so for quite literally hours because she is that sort of person. She is a bright energy uh, and infectious energy as well, and she just radiates on the screen. But all, more than that, she has so much wisdom, advice, on trauma in general and so many stories that can help all, all of us become better and heal from those past wounds that sometimes do cripple us from becoming better in our own lives. So I know that you guys are going to love this conversation. Susie, you're amazing. Thank you so much for your time doing this and, you know, can't wait for the next time, honestly. So my friends, if you do get something from this one, please share it around to all your friends and your family. Let everyone know about this one. Trauma is something that affects every single one of us. There is no escaping it, but we can get better at managing it, okay? So, um, yeah, please don't forget before you go to subscribe and leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts as well. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into this story box and listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than my very good friend, whom is honestly tremendous, and I cannot thank enough, Susie Zinn. Thank you for having me, Jay. It's wonderful to be here. It's honestly wonderful to finally have you on the story box. <laughs> I know we've been trying to make this happen for a while, so really do appreciate you making the time to be here today. Um, I can't wait to hear more about your story. You've heard quite a lot of my story, <laughs> but today it's about you. So the first question, I mean, you've listened to my podcast, so you know one question that's already coming uh, in the very beginning, which is what does success look like for you? I think in the beginning when I started my career in trauma, it looked very different than it does today. And so when I started in the field of trauma after 9-11, really what I was trying to do was just help individuals, especially who'd been through catastrophic events, heal. And my research really involved around post-traumatic growth, which means that trying to find meaning and purpose mm -hmm. after a traumatic event happened. And then I also was doing research with first responders at, from a prevention perspective of looking at ways to prevent post-traumatic stress on the job. So when I started, success was really helping this sort of community of people that had really seen kind of the worst of the worst. And as the years have gone on, and I've worked with thousands of people that have experienced trauma, my mission and my concept of success has really changed. And what I mean by that is that 
My hope is that I really help the public start to understand what trauma is and we start to normalize it, that we can take the trauma out of trauma because especially after this pandemic, every single individual has experienced a trauma in their lives. And what happens oftentimes when people experience trauma is that they think that they're broken or something's wrong with them or they're defective or they're never going to be the same. But I'm really hoping to educate people that there are ways to heal, there is hope, and that there is another side. And so that we get to live not only a a thriving life and survive from trauma, but we actually get to live a joyful life after something's happened in our past. And that's really what I define success for, like now these days. I mean, trauma is such a big topic of conversation, which I do want to dive further into with you in in just a moment. But before I do that, I want to give the audience some context for a moment and go back to how you got started in all this in in trauma research. Where did your interest come from initially? So I had prior to becoming a therapist and working in this field, I actually was a behavioral scientist and and did a lot of consumer insights working with young adults for brands like MTV, VH1, Nike. And I traveled around the world and talked to all teenagers from all different walks of life about what they thought, how they felt, how they, how they kind of viewed the world. And it was really amazing. I did some documentaries and it was kind of the whole new world that was happening. People really want to understand young adults. So that was really my life for a long period of time. And when 9-11 happened, something just switched. And I still remember the day of walking home after the towers had collapsed. And I entered what in anthropology we call a liminal space, when I really knew that my life as it existed was no longer and something was going to happen. I had no idea who I was going to become and what that was going to look like, but I was sort of stuck in this in between. And that was even solidified that I actually had to be on a flight the first day we could fly out to go see a client in Detroit on a flight with, which was terrifying right after 9-11 had happened. And so I, I was, I was lost for a while and experiencing post-traumatic stress myself and just trying to figure out where I was, what I was doing, who I was, what was my purpose. And I started to spend a lot of time at a local fire station in my neighborhood, which is called Fort Pitt, which is in, I I lived in the Lower East Side of, of Manhattan at the time. And I started going there really almost daily and just bringing like cookies or kind of being around. And I wanted to be around these heroes. I wanted to be around these people that were going down into this pile of rubble and ground zero every single day. And I was just fascinated with these people, these people that were risking their lives in order to save other people. And I just wanted to be close to that. And, and with that too, then I started to see this sort of humanity. There was humor, there were jokes, there was ping pong, there was, there was meals with families and there was life. And For me in that moment, something sort of switched because when I always thought about doing this work, I thought, oh, I could never do that. I'm not capable. I'm kind of a sunny, happy, funny person. And I was worried that that would sort of impact me and change me in a way that I wouldn't really recognize myself by doing such hard work, which I think a lot of people sometimes assume. 
And it was kind of the opposite. And so really through those months of working and just volunteering with that fire station, a plan started to get started with me. And then I started volunteering in the ER and night shifts as a rape crisis counselor. And that really is what started. And once I started doing that work and just fell in love with just being able to be present with another human being and have an impact on someone's life, that just, it just went from there. And my work and my interest in this field just has grown and grown over time. And I just am in awe every single day of the power of a human being to heal, to grow, to make meaning in their life and to find joy no matter what's happened to them. How have you noticed that your degree as a psychotherapist and looking at human behaviors, how have you noticed that that has helped you or has it helped you with looking at the way people go through trauma in different age brackets? Has it, has it helped you in any way? Absolutely. I I mean, just even going back my story, I've always been really fascinated about how people think and how they behave and how they see the world. And I think that if we look at sort of trends and uh, global, we were talking about sort of just Australia versus United States or different age groups of people and how they thrive and survive it's it's really interesting to kind of see how what how certain people can can actually overcome certain things that you can you think that would be sort of unfathomable. Um, but I don't know if that answers your question about certain age brackets. But I think that we just all have these sort of chemical makeup that some of us it's easier than others. But the way that I think about it is is that. is is genetics and 60% is up to us. So it doesn't matter how old we are or where we come from or what our circumstances are or how much trauma we've experienced or our intergenerational trauma, that it's up to us to decide what kind of life we want to live. And that takes work and that takes commitment. And those are micro behavior changes and actions that we can take every single day that can have macro effects and impact on not only our lives, but the lives of those around us and really the world at it at, at large too. Because you mentioned that you did suffer with PTSD as well. Uh, can you share what sort of brought that on for you? It was simply for me, it was really the impact of 9-11 of witnessing that and actually being part of that. I lived only a few blocks away from the towers collapsing. And so I lived with a tank outside my door. Literally, I had a tank outside that I had to show my ID to go into my apartment. And I had garbage bags that were covering our windows so that the death and the soot and the debris of 9-11 would not come into our house. We had, I don't know, at the time, we probably had about 15 people living on and off throughout our apartment. We had animals. There was all kinds of things going on. And uh, because people that lived a little bit closer actually lost their homes and they were homeless and lots of people didn't have any place to go. So to be a young person witnessing that and day in, day out and seeing sort of the suffering and the struggle and then going to sleep at night, not sure that if you're going to wake up in the morning was pretty terrifying. 
Um, and that really brought on the PTSD for me. And I think that you just feel like, and I'm, I know that you can relate to this experience that you're sort of living in this world. It's kind of like everything's surreal to you. It, it doesn't feel real. And it's so important to find places and, and communities for you to ground when you're struggling and going through that. At the time, I really didn't understand or know about mental health support. It just wasn't something that even people were talking about, which is crazy to think about how much things have changed in that time period with the 20th anniversary of 9-11 coming up here in September. Mm. But there just wasn't the resources at the time. Mm. And I, I believe that when you go through like trauma in general, whether or not it is PTSD, you kind of, you're right, you live in this sort of dazed and confused version of the world. I think it's kind of like your your mind's way of protecting you in a, in a sense, but then again, it's not really protecting you. It's kind of making things worse for you at the same time. So I think having a more of a realization of it is better to help us actually heal. So we don't live in that day. So we're not causing us ourselves any more damage. Um, so I want to sort of ask you about um, you, you were, how, I guess you were, you were, with the, the fire department and, and working with these heroes and, and watching them, what did you notice about them? Because they're, they're looking at like traumatic things every single day of their life. What was it about them that made them different with their coping mechanisms, whereas someone else that wasn't sort of going through like the same things they were, but they're still going through trauma, but they were crumbling so what, what did you notice that made them different as opposed to someone else, like a regular person? Well, I was really lucky a couple years after 9-11 happened that I actually got to work on research with first responders to help them with coping skills and tools. So this was something that I spent about four years on, which was I'm incredibly proud of. And it's actually part of a curriculum that's nationwide now. Um, that EMTs and EMSs and first responders have to go through. And so there are some really key points. And one of, one of the most important things is, and especially for people that have experienced trauma, is to know what's happening to us biologically. And I think that once we understand what's happening versus just feeling the impact of it in our nervous system and feeling so uncomfortable and feeling powerless to that, that can really help with symptoms a lot because if we understand what we can do to regulate our nervous system and our amygdala, even though she's our fiercest protector and she's only wants to keep us safe, but once we understand how to use tools to calm down our nervous system, then a lot can change. And I think whether it's the SEALs or whether it's first responders and frontline workers, they, there's a lot of work that goes into this and a lot of preparation for them to do their jobs every day because it's not a natural thing to go walk into a fire or to go into a rubble of, of ground zero or to go on a, a mission that is that you know that you can literally get killed from. I mean, these are, these are people that have mentally trained their brains to do the unfathomable for most. And, and a biggest part of that is about having their body in coherence which means that their heart, their mind, and their emotions are in balance. And there are certain tools that you can do to sort of regulate that. And so when I was experiencing at the time, I think that that's why I brought up the fact of seeing this joy 
and this life and this community around was so shocking for me because we forget about those elements and how impactful they can actually be on people's nervous systems to have humor, to laugh, to have gratitude, to have appreciation, to have a hug. I have a rule in my house at seven points of contact a day. I don't know if there's any science to that, but I actually make that a rule because I know that that's actually really good for our brain health. And so I really witnessed that and that this brotherhood and sisterhood that sort of existed within this fire station just fascinated me of just how close knit they were and the willingness that they were able to put themselves, their lives on the line for another fellow friend of theirs and colleague was really fascinating. I think it's honestly amazing how they can show up and, and be that way every single day. I mean, it's, it's admirable. And I guess for, for, for my audience and, and understanding what trauma actually is, rather than just diving into PTSD, I thought going into a bit of context for them, can we sort of outline or give them an understanding of what actual trauma is? Where does it actually come from in the first place? So this is actually really important for me because I think that what we historically have sort of defined trauma has been a activating event that has called, caused our senses and our nervous system to sort of dysregulate and sort of impact us in, in particular ways. But what, how I'm really redefining trauma is it happens to us every single day. And the fact is that our brain doesn't know the difference between a heartbreak and failing a test and actually a catastrophic event like 9-11. It doesn't know the difference, but it feels exactly the same in our nervous systems. And I think that that is what gets really confusing to people because we have this dysregulation where all of a sudden we start to feel uncomfortable or we start to feel that we get in sort of these repetitions of thoughts or we start to feel disconnected from ourselves or we start to replay an event over and over, or we get triggered by a scent or a smell, which are all sort of symptoms of trauma, but it's not something that feels so big in their minds. And then they get really confused and go, well, I shouldn't be feeling this way. This, this was only a heartbreak or this was only a failing of a test. And so why am I feeling so impacted by something? Oh, that trauma thing that only happens to people that have witnessed war-torn areas or they've lost a loved one. That, I shouldn't be feeling this way now. And so I feel like it's really important for us to start to normalize the fact is it's just like our brains don't know the difference between a movie they don't, and, and real life. It, it, fiction and fact feel exactly the same in our nervous systems. So we have to really understand that and that it's really about the prevention and the tools that we're learning in order to get over these uncomfortable feelings that are happening in our nervous system as fast as possible to recover so that we don't experience long-term effects from trauma the way that can result to PTSD, which is really the end of the day, the goal. Mm. I find it interesting how you mentioned that we are experiencing trauma every single day, but our brains don't actually recognize it. And I, I'm, I'm always interested, like, why is that the case for our brains in particular? Like, is it, is it because we were born that way? Have we always been wired that way? Because a kid growing up that experiences trauma on, a, on any given day compared to an adult, right? I mean, 
I've always been I've always been fascinated by that. Does it start when when you're growing up, or is it something that is sort of more when we're going through adolescence? So if you think about it, the fact is we have sixty thousand thoughts every single day. Ninety five percent of them are repetitive. Eighty percent of them are negative. So the way that our brains actually work, it's all about survival. Our brains go back to the prehistoric time that everything we do is about survival. It doesn't care if we're happy. Our nervous system and our amygdala does not care. She is a fierce warrior. She doesn't care if we're happy. She just cares if we're alive. And so what happens is that the way that we sort of connect our nervous system to our brain, it misfires all the time. And so something happens and all of a sudden it feels traumatic or it feels scary or it feels anxious in our body. And then what can happen is we can start to tell stories about those incidents and messages. And that's really where sort of the trauma can start to get encoded. And also too, from culture, from our parents, unfortunately, that we get these wounded aspects of our lives and and things that happen to us as children that we start to chip away of our true essence, our pureness, when we are actually children, we're just perfect. But society starts to mold us and change us and want us to behave a certain way or do certain things. And that's really when things can sort of feel traumatic. And then we take, unfortunately, probably most of our adult life trying to get back to our true essence from everything that happened to us as a kid. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but it really does seem to be quite cyclical a lot of times until we're conscious of what's happening. We are unconscious that it's happening to us. Mm. And, um, I think that that really is incredibly relational trauma or when we're not living in authenticity is incredibly traumatic for a person too as well. This may be a a sort of a a dumb question, but I wanted to ask it anyway to hear your response. But is there such a thing as one trauma is worse than the other trauma or is it trauma trauma? Trauma is trauma. And that's exactly, that's the the tricky thing about our nervous system, because we just don't know the difference. It feels exactly the same. And so that can be why people, it's so, it hurts my, hurts my heart so much when people will say, well, that wasn't as big as someone else's situation or trauma that happened. They dismiss their feelings and emotion, which actually creates more of an impact because they feel very unseen or they feel like, this shouldn't be a big deal. And that actually just creates so many more problems because we're trying to diminish things. And we do that in society and culture too. Oh, you'll get over it. Or, you know, he wasn't a great guy anyway, or she wasn't a great girl, or, you know, next year that won't be a big deal. Or why are you still upset over that situation? That person died a year ago. I mean, I hear it all the time. We try to normalize it because we're so uncomfortable with the humanness of suffering and pain and people don't want to, to feel themselves. And so they try to diminish it and make it small, but really in essence, the most important is to kind of highlight and allow everyone to have all their feelings and emotions, embrace it, sit in the pain of what's happened allow that to be integrated into who we are and to heal from it. Mm. Recognizing trauma is not, it's not easy for everyone. So I guess um, for someone that has gone through a traumatic experience, how can we help them recognize that they have gone through a traumatic event and then work through or get to the place of where we can actually heal? I think the most important thing is really allowing ourselves to 
embrace our feelings. Because what happens is oftentimes when something happens, we want to numb out. We want to avoid. We don't want to touch it. We don't want to talk about it. We want to get as far away because it's painful. And so when we allow it to sort of live in this bubble, that can be really dangerous for people because they're not allowing it to integrate into their nervous system, into their memory, into their hearts as a past occurrence. It's staying present and it's going to come up and, and, and trigger you at some point and, and in a pretty significant way and really be a disruptor in your life. And so really the most important is allowing people to just talk and be present and to have their feelings. And I always just say, can you just put your hand on your heart and allow yourself to feel and listen to that higher intuitiveness that you have in your heart of what's really going on? Can we sort of scan through our body and see what's happening? Maybe we don't even have the language and the words for it, but we can notice if our neck is tight or we can notice if something feels wrong. We can, we can communicate that. I don't know what's happening, but I know something feels uncomfortable. And being present with another human being that way is so important. What can happen for a person that doesn't recognize the trauma there and they don't get healing? What are some of the, the areas that can come up or the conditions that can happen as a result? You name it. You name it. Yeah. And so from heart failure to illness to cancer to cognitive issues to blowing up their lives because they're so uncomfortable being traumatized that they actually seek it out. It's not intentional, but we get really comfortable in the familiar in our nervous systems, in our bodies. And when we are so traumatized or we've been through so much being hypervigilant is sometimes all we know. And so then we go and seek it out. And I can, I work with people all the time that, you're like, how can this be humanly possible that all these things have happened to someone? Well, it's because they're actually not able to see danger. Mm -hmm. They just go forward into something because it feels so familiar and they've normalized things that are very dangerous as being actually safe and their nervous system and their body. They've overwritten that self-protective mechanism. So it's no longer working the way it should and it needs to. And that really is helping them reprogram and getting their nervous system and their brain and their heart and their bodies back in alignment so that they can actually start to feel and start to operate in a way to self-protect themselves as, as it should and yeah. heal. I've noticed that for my own life and dealing with my own trauma, it's led to countless things that I didn't even really know was because of trauma. And when I finally did the work and finally uncovered it, I was like, it all makes sense now. And the the work is not easy, but it's needful. So for, for people that are wondering, okay, so I know the trauma's there. I need strategies. I need tips here in order to work through this, in order to, you can't really, you can't remove trauma at all, but you can manage it. You can subdue it further down. So what are some areas that, or tips or strategies that you can give to a young person or are they across the board? They're for everyone. doesn't matter the age. I think it's throughout any age is important and knowledge is power. It's so important. I think when you're younger, it's super 
it's much easier to learn something new, right? Because you've got time and space. And so if we start educating our youth about trauma and the impact and tools and skills to regulate our nervous systems and how our bodies and brains and hearts work and living in congruence, then, th then that is really such a gift because we're going to see sort of those mental health issues sort of decline rather than increase as they have. We have 40% of teenagers with struggling with anxiety in the United States at this point, and I'm sure it's much higher now that was pre-pandemic, before they go to college. And so there's a reason for that. It's we don't really know how to teach people about our nervous systems and our emotions. And the last time we have any education on that is when we're in preschool, which is crazy. So there are a lot of things we can do. And, and some of them are really simple and and some of them are more complicated and, and, and the healing process can be more complicated and take more time. But there are really amazing ways that we can simply do things every single day from a prevention perspective. That is getting out in the morning every single day and walking. When we walk first thing in the morning, it actually helps to calm down our nervous system. And the amygdala actually decreases that energy that happens when we get up and we walk for 10 minutes first thing in the morning. When we're getting direct sunlight, when we're drinking enough water, when we're sleeping enough, when we're eating nutritious meals, when we're connecting with other human beings, when we're experiencing gratitude and appreciation for life. I mean, there's, there's so many little things that we can do that are preventative. And I think that oftentimes people dismiss the small things because they think that they are too simple and those things can't possibly work. But let me tell you, there's so much science around that. And there's so much research of really showing that when we actually feel and evoke a positive feeling and emotion from the past, and we allow our bodies to really embrace that, that we can actually change our heart rates. Yeah. It's fascinating. And so we can actually really allow ourselves to calm down. And when our heart is calm and in congruence and balance, it communicates to our brain that we're safe. Right. And so then everything is going to start to flow. And so that simple act, and there's 30 years of research about this. This isn't just, you know, something that's kind of airy fairy. This is science. And so, but people go, well, that's too easy. Or I should think a positive thing rather than feeling it, allowing yourself to really get into a meditative state where you're actually experiencing that in your body. And when you go to those places of puppies or rainbows or best friends or great days at the beach or whatever it can be or will be, that it really kind of lights up our bodies and creates this sort of energy around us that really changes us on a cellular level. And it's pretty incredible. Mm. I've always said as well that uh, trauma can boost the ego to an extent where you think that, hey, um, there's nothing wrong with me. So therefore, something so simple, therefore, won't work on me. I need something to be grand and giant, but it's actually the complete opposite. It's meant to be, let's remove the ego and say that we've all got trauma in our life. We've all got hurt. We've all been through suffering and pain. Here are some little things that we can do, like you mentioned, go out in the fresh air for a walk. It's not hard to do, but we complicate things. We're very good at complicating things for some reason. Um, and yeah, like I, I noticed when I became more aware of trauma in my life and how to manage it better, uh, that the little things that I practice every single day have kept me in balance. They've kept me in check because 
you do get triggered or you will get triggered pretty much every single day by something. And I, I find it fascinating how something that has happened years prior, you will remember, or it will just come up many years later, just randomly at any, any moment. It's like, Oh, where did that come from? <laughs> kind of thing. You're like, thanks. I was just having a nice dinner. <laughs> yes. Why did that happen now? You know, but then, then it's kind of like in that moment, if I hadn't have done the work previously during the day of managing everything, it's like, for me, it's persistence, right? But for other people, it could be the same thing. You just got to choose to apply it to your life if you really want to live a happier and fulfilled life. I really believe that. So. Well, I actually really love to, you know me, I, I love a good joke and, and I guess being a trauma therapist, I have to find the funny and the funny. So anytime there is a good time to sort of laugh, I will find it. But I really do play with, even with my clients like that. I'm like, well, go into the room and check underneath the desk and see if there's tigers. Oh, no tigers here today, you know, find the humor in that because even our brain knows what we're doing. If when we play these games with it, it actually really allows us to calm down. And my friend, Dr. Kate Sherrod, who's a neuroscientist, she talks about Amy or amygdala. She's named her. She's like, okay, we'll come up with the name. You know, this friend of yours that keeps telling you, you know, there's danger all over the place and she's just misfiring. So it's like, Amy, can you calm down now? You know, and having that fun and humor with what's going on with us bi biologically and when we understand what's happening, then we feel more agency and control. So when that trigger comes in for you and you're like, come on already, I'm having a good time. Do you really need to come and interrupt me right now? Like even just that sort of thought process that goes down. And then what you can do is just literally being doing those physiological size of those two inhales through your nose and then long exhale out of your mouth, what actually allows the blood flow to go out of your heart, which is going to decrease your heart rate. It's so simple, but it gets you back into that coherence where you actually feel balanced again. And it was just a thought. It was just something that flowed through, just something that was there and then it's gone. And if we have 60,000 thoughts every single day, we're going to have some crazy thoughts all the time, but we don't have to buy into those stories or those beliefs. And if 80% of them are negative, wow, you know, we've got to really work hard at those 20% to make sure that we're living in our divine and our joy and, and getting to live the joy that we want to in our lives. And and I think that that really is about intention and purpose and humor and really just being mindful of what's happening. So that to me, oftentimes I just try to make it a game because we're all wired the same way and we're all human. And if we can kind of notice it in ourselves then we can help other people as well. Mm. I love the breathing technique and I have like a, an even, I've added a, a strategy along with the breathing. I blink twice and that's sort of like, it's a jolt to my nervous system. It's like, oh, why is he blinking twice? And it's like remembering, okay, I need to breathe. <laughs> okay, so here's even the cooler thing for you to know. When the speed of the blink of your eye is how fast your amygdala gets triggered. Ooh, so I the like cool it. thing that you're doing with that is amazing because you're like, mm, okay, amygdala, chill out. Mm, okay, I got you. <laughs> you know, you're, you're making it kind of a fun way of doing something. And our bodies, we are like babies. We love repetition and habits and routines and love to do things. And so the fact is, if that works for you, I put my hands on my heart every single day. I wake up in the morning. I do this constantly. People that work with me, I'm always like, put your hand on your heart. 
This is what defines our either, you know, being alive and dying. And so when we put our hands on our heart and we actually feel ourselves in our heartbeat, sometimes that's all we need to ground ourselves in the now and go, okay, I'm showing up as my true self. I'm here now. I'm present. I'm aware. Those thoughts and imaginary actions that are kind of going on from my past, they're not real. Yeah. They're things that are long gone or there are things that never happen. And I can just be present with myself now. And so there's nothing weird about putting your hand on your heart. There's a, it's an actual symbol of sort of connection with another human being. I even like people to put their hands on each other's hearts and feel their own heartbeats. And so that, that really brings in a closeness and, and a humanness, which I think is so important. Mm-hmm. I love that because Speaking about hearts, I mean, you can relate to me on on this for for some level. My heart actually skips a beat, so it's always it's cool to put my hand on my heart sometimes, and then it actually I can feel the skip. <laughs> um, but for you, Susie, you were telling me that you've had a few problems with your heart uh, in the past, and I think am I correct in the present as well, or are you able to share the stories behind what's happened with that? Sure. Um, about 10 years ago, I thought I was struggling with severe anxiety. Mm. And the fact is being a trauma therapist, I know every trick in the book, right? I had a therapy dog. I do grounding exercises every day. I do all my breathing. Like I had every, I had it all kind of worked out, but I had this pretty debilitating anxiety. The medication just didn't seem to, to help. And, um, to the point that I just felt, I thought I was burnt out from my job, which to be honest, I was, Mm -hmm. and I was pretty burnt out from living, not really in balance. I was lived in New York city. I did everything kind of, I worked late. I did everything kind of an extreme and I wasn't really like a lot of people in this profession wasn't taking such good care of myself. And so moved out to Southern, Southern California and thought the change of the air would be a great restart for me. And I got here and my first friend I met, um, was a cardiologist. She was a pediatrician and her husband was a cardiologist and I had started running and I, my, my watch kept being broken. And then the treadmill was broken. And, and then soon enough, I went to dinner with them one night and I said, which I never usually ask medical questions from my friends in the medical industry, but I asked them to look at my watch and it's my friend, Sunny and Kavitha Batia. And Sunny said, you need to come see me tomorrow at the office or this week. And so he kept bugging me and I kept ignoring him and putting it off. Cause I knew I was, there was something not right. And so it turned out that I had something it's called SVT, which means that my heart rates were going up between 240 to 280 sometimes just walking around, let alone exercising. So the fact that I had even been standing up was like a miracle in itself, let alone, and really a testament to so much grounding work and work that I was doing on, on my own and with my own practice. And so it sort of, I started on this whole journey and became a study at UCLA and was supposed to go to the Mayo Clinic because they couldn't figure out what was going on. Um, I had a couple of failed heart surgeries and people could understand how I was so healthy and young and had this beautiful, healthy heart and then had this really crazy wiring because our hearts are sort of like, we've got the plumbing and electricity and the electricity was just haywire. Yeah. So I ended up 
going to see a pedi- the head of pediatric cardiology, Dr. Shannon, who I love dearly. And if you ever need to have heart surgery, go to pediatrics because they treat you really well. And it's amazing with everything that goes on there. But um, my last surgery I had was in 2018 and he ablated uh, 35 ablations on my heart, which means that they burn where the electricity is not working. And it was about a 17 hour surgery. And so my heart has been permanently changed. I have 35 wounds or scars on my heart now. Mm -hmm. But what happened when I woke up from that surgery is he said to me, you know, whatever's going on, you know, something's going to have to change. Otherwise you're going to have a pacemaker and in about six months. And so I know you can relate to this, that powerless feeling of like, how could this be happening to me? Like I'm healthy. I drink my juice. I, I do all these things in life. I exercise. I you know live in a place where it's safe. And so how can I be having a pacemaker? And it really started me on this journey. And I had this sort of aha moment of like, whatever, however I was living had to stop that day. And that started me really, and my background in research started me sort of exploring neurocardiology and the work at HeartMath, which I really had known nothing about. I'd been as trauma therapist and I had known nothing about the heart. So I know about the nervous system and the brain and the body and, and all these types of things, but I didn't really understand the impact that trauma has on our hearts and, and the way that we can actually heal with our hearts. So the very thing that I was looking to heal was the very thing I needed to actually heal. And so I started to sort of learn more and more about the power and the energy of our hearts. And that has really transformed not only my life and the way that I live my life every single day, but it's transformed my practice and how I work with people and how I communicate about really healing and living. And it's been, it's one of those moments that I think that it was just sort of destined to sort of happen to me in order for me to do and put me on this path to do the work that I'm supposed to do. And I know you can relate to that a little bit, Jay, too. But Wow. So for those wondering and are curious right now, how powerful is this little thing in our chest (laughs) exactly? So here's the amazing thing is that it wasn't until 1991 that Dr. Armour discovered that we have neurons in our hearts. So up until then, we just thought that the only neurons that existed were in our brains. And so that our brain was the only thing that had the thinking capacity and everything came from our brain. And so really the Egyptians were quite smart when they were onto something 5,000 years ago that we actually had this little brain in our chest, which actually thinks it feels, and it actually, because our heart beats before our brains, that it transmits information to our brain, which is amazing because people think it's the other way around and it's not. And so the other really amazing thing about our hearts is that it emits 5,000, the the amount of electric magnetic energy that our brains do. So we actually feel people eight feet around us. So there's a reason why when we are attracted to someone is we're really attracted to their energy and we are actually kind of connecting to them in that way. So it's not, it's this incredible thing in our chest. It's like a superpower. We literally are like Iron Man and we don't even know it. (laughs) 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 <laughs> that is so cool. 
right? So, and there's just this incredible research that's going on right now, the impact, the impact of our electromagnetic magnetic energy around our hearts and, and the world around us. And we're just learning more and more, but it's so new. It's only been going on for about 20, 25 years, this research. So we're just learning more and more and it's really exciting. And I just feel Every day I learn something and I'm like, what? This is just incredible. But there's all these tips and there's things that we can be doing that when we're trying to balance our heart and it can just be as simple as the exercise I told you before about thinking of a renewing feeling and breathing from our hearts. And those little tiny things can really help us get into quick coherence as HeartMath talks about and really fast ways for us just to feel more balanced in our lives. I've seen my friend, Dr. Nicole Lepera, uh, and, and she'll have those photos where she'll like put her hand on her, her partner's heart and it's like they feel each other, the healing. Yes. And it's so true. It's like, it's such a powerful, powerful uh, strategy to heal yourself, to get yourself in the present and the, just align yourself I mean, who would have thought that? Like this little thing that's beating in your chest. I mean, it's so easy to take it for granted. I mean, how powerful it actually is. I mean, I've been there. Like until you actually go through something or you realize it, it's kind of like, wow. That I love, um, I I was never great at science in school, but now I have this massive appreciation for it because it's it's always changing. Everyone is figuring out new things. I mean, we've got a brain, We've got a, another brain in our heart and we've got another brain in our stomach and our guts. Exactly. We've got th- three brains that are communicating with each other at any given time. And it's just, it's absolutely magnificent. So, man, you're blowing my mind again. <laughs> well, that's yeah. the amazing thing is, and I think that so many people, they think you have to be a neuroscientist or you have to be, you have to have some amazing degree to understand this. And really what my hope is, just like a lot of people out there is let's just simplify this. So people can actually learn to live more joy-filled lives. They can have the tools and skills and they can know what to do. And we shouldn't just be teaching kindergartners and and nursery school children about emotional intelligence and, and connecting with our bodies and, and our hearts and our brains in this way. We should be teaching all levels of people this so people can actually live more joyful lives. So it's, it's let's just kind of dumb it down and make it as simple as possible because we can get as deep as we want to with the science and it is fascinating, but you don't need to have a degree to kind of understand this stuff. And I think it's, that's really the true message is that it, this should be available for everyone and that everyone should be able to have the tools and skills in order to kind of live optimally. Mm, I think kids in school, like this should be taught in schools because if it is taught in schools, and I wish it was for me because maybe it might have saved me from a lot of pain and hurt later on. So you maybe should have a class like this that is actually in a school environment, school setting. And maybe you might save a lot of kids from severe mental health problems. And who knows, Susie, like I can dream, right? <laughs> so that's but why it's so important for your work. And yeah. that's also with you too. It's a testament to you. I mean, you can dream it up and then guess what? you can make it happen because the power of love and the power of helping people and the power of someone starting with one concept can change everything and it can ripple. And so I I like that maybe it's going to become, you're just putting that out there right now that maybe this is something that's going to actually really happen. Well, I'm going to try my absolute best as I'm sure you are as well. And you are 
doing your very best to bring awareness and and shed light into these important issues. So I want to acknowledge you for that and say thank you so much for doing it. Don't give up and I won't give up either. How about that? <laughs> and collectively what our energy can do, right? Exactly. That's, that's an amazing thing is that when we come together in community and our energy from our heart and it's all coming from a pure place, then really what we can change and impact is pretty amazing. So I am. Iron sharpens iron, doesn't it? It's like yes. it's such a <laughs> power, another powerful metaphor. I mean, we can use so many metaphors, <laughs> but it is so true. But speaking about love, Susie, I mean, I, I I enjoy asking this question to people now, but what do you love the most about yourself and your story? I love people. I, I will tell you that. I, I think that one of the qualities that I recently noticed about myself that I really love the most is that I'm a champion of others. And I think because I try to live so much from my heart that sometimes I can see the magic in other people before they can see in themselves. Mm -hmm. And I get so excited when people start to believe in themselves that way and they start to get lit up and they start to live in their authenticity and embrace that and live their divine, beautiful lives that they are. So I think that that's kind of my superpower. <laughs> it is. It is. And, and, and to be honest, I can, I can uh, share with the audience that is so real. I've experienced that light and I, I just, honestly, I appreciate it so much. Like you have no idea how much it has helped me. <laughs> like even, even in a dark moment, I'll get an email from you randomly. It'll be two o'clock in the afternoon, which I have no idea what time that is for you in the States, but it'll just be like, it'll put this massive smile on my face every time I receive an email from you. So, I mean, my goodness, like it is your superpower. So <laughs> don't ever stop it. <laughs> so anyway, but. What, what are some things for you, Susie, that makes you happy, that puts joy into your life on, on, on any given day? It doesn't have to be helping people or loving people. It could be other things. What are some things for you? Well, I actually have a joy practice. Mm -hmm. So every single day, I actually put that into my intention in the day. And, and I make sure I do one thing that's joyful. And our definition of joy is different for everyone. I'm very lucky that I have two very cute dogs and two very cute humans, teenagers, but the dogs actually most of the time are a lot oh, more fun. <laughs> and I will take them, I'll take them to the beach and we'll just go and watch sunsets. And that's something, especially over this past year, just being able to be on the beach. I know it's, I'm such a privilege of being able to do it. And it's something that I never take for granted, but really being in nature is something that just really connects me. But even something simple, like just sitting and getting sunlight on my face or a giggle, I love humor. I love good jokes. I love to laugh. It's something that I really try to make sure that I do every day because I just feel like it connects me and the way that it gets me back in alignment. Um, I love meeting new people and connecting with new people and learning about new people and travel. There's you know, so many things, but the simple things are always the most important to me and really bring me the most joy. And, and sometimes I'll just get up and watch the sunrise. I actually did this experiment for a year. Mm -hmm. If anyone needs a good challenge, because I wanted to see the impact on my day. 
So sometimes I do my own research on myself first before, <laughs> but I actually got up every single day at 5.30 to watch the sunrise and the impact was tremendous on my life. Mm-hmm. So it's something so small. Yeah, you're like, I don't want to get up. But when you think about how that sort of vibrates through your entire day, and then I would start to talk to other people about what I saw in the morning and the magic and the moment. And then it just kind of kept growing. Um, I started to go see all the the best spots for sunrises in the morning. A friend joined me. It it was just kind of a really amazing experience. It's something I'll never forget that I really was so grateful and probably need to start doing that again. Actually, as a good reminder. (laughs) I I can relate to you on watching the sunrise because in 2017, so I was in the hospital. I was going through a crazy, crazy time. I mean, you've read about this uh, and I came up with, I just sat in the chair and I just waited for the sun to come up. And I was in a, I was in a privileged room where I could overlook Sydney Harbor. I could overlook all that. And I just watched the sun come up and I had this like epiphany. It was kind of like, if I can beat the sun, then no matter what comes my way during the day, then I can beat that too, because the sun is constant. So if I can beat something that is constant, whether that is, getting up early, exercising, doing things that are going to benefit my day and me and my overall health. If I can do that before even the sun comes up, then I'm unstoppable for challenges that come during my way. That That's the way I look at it. And then the moment I get to see the sun come up, it's kind of like that peaceful moment of I've done it for today. It's, it's going to be okay. Like that's the way I look at it. So I love that practice. I absolutely love that story. And that's you living in your heart. That's living from the heart. That's you living and knowing I'm going to be okay no matter what happens because I'm breathing, my heart's beating, Mm. I beat the sun. And Jay, that's just such a powerful story. I know I got to read it before, but for you to share it with an audience, I think is so important. And it's something that is going to change people because it's something tangible that they can do too when they're feeling helpless or powerless. So thank you for sharing that beautiful story. No, thank you for sharing yours. Cause I feel like it's important for not just me to share it, but also you to share it because it's, it's double the value, <laughs> right? Double. Yeah. If it works for you, if it works for me, then it might work for somebody else too. So you never know until you give it a try. So Susie, Two final questions for you, if you don't mind. Really enjoy this conversation. This is more of a, a fun question. I love asking all my guests, but I'm curious to hear your your answer to it. What has been the weirdest food combination you've ever tried? Oh, I've been to 60 countries. I've tried a lot of funky stuff. So <laughs> Please, weirdest yeah. combination. Oh gosh. I'm trying to think even which country. I've tried things that I don't even want to know what they are, (laughs) to be honest. I mean, I will tell, I'll actually tell a story about my brother because his story is probably much greater than mine. So my brother lived in China for 16 years and he moved there in 1995 when there wasn't any expats. And he was this, this big six foot four American, you know, everyone used to take his picture um, living in Shanghai. And they the businessmen would wanted to kind of like haze him, you know, for being there. And so they would have him like drink like snake blood and like disgusting things just to see if he would do it. And it ended up, he ended up in the hospital over it. But, um, I think he, he definitely, 
you know, wins that competition. So, but I, you know, I am game for really trying anything because I think you never know until you try it. And so I really love to, wherever I've traveled, I always love to, to eat like local cuisine and, and just be open to it. Um, and so I, I, I can't even think of the funkiest thing I've ever eaten, but I, I know that there's probably a pretty long list of that. So. <laughs> I can imagine it's, it's all good. We'll just, we'll just say for the audience, think of the worst possible thing you think of and Susie's probably tried it. <laughs> yeah. I think that there's been like a soup with like, you know, a sperm whale oh. or something to Scott, you know, like there's been some pretty funky things. <laughs> Oh, I mean, you're, you're more adventurous and game than what I am. I'm a very fussy eater. So, oh my goodness. I, I love this question because yeah. it kind of is like, it's challenging for me whether or not I actually want to try something um, that, you know, I've had, I've had, I've had answers to this question that have just been wild and outrageous. And I'm like, how in the world did you do that? And then I've had ones where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to give that a go now. That sounds cool. <laughs> well, my kids are yeah. half South African, so there's a lot of adventurous oh. food there too. So that's interesting. Okay, <laughs> there's, there's, um, I we we are, actually have neighbors that are South Africans, and then we had a friend of ours down the road that were South Africans too. South African food, okay. Granted, some of it is a bit out there, but there are some like gems of South African food. Oh, anyway, I'm going off on a tangent there. <laughs> we can talk right. a lot about food. Yeah, we can. But, um, Susie, my final question for you, I mean, you know this question, but it's my all-time favorite one that I ask everyone at the end, and I've always wanted to know your response to it. But imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how they got it all. We'll just call it magic. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Well, first of all, better be funny. <laughs> <laughs> and people better laugh a lot. Is the most important. But I think really that my hope is that, that I loved, I loved hard. And, and that, that really is the most important thing. And the bottom line is that we love one another and that we show up for one another and we live in community. And that really is my hope that on my hundredth birthday or maybe 120th, if, you know, now with modern science, maybe it's a little bit, we get another 20 years, but that I really lived life to its fullest in that way. And I really loved it super hard. Mm. I love that. Where can people find you, Susie? Connect with you and learn more about you. So my Instagram is Susan Zinn, Z-I-N-N Therapy. And my and my website is susanzinntherapy.com. And you can find out more information about me and what I'm doing. And I've got a book coming out in a couple of weeks and some other things too. So <laughs> well, Susie, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really did enjoy this conversation. Really appreciate you. So thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast and sharing a little bit about your story today and, and all your advice as well. Thank you, Jay. I really enjoyed it too. And thank you for everything you're doing and your contribution. And I hope this is first first of many conversations we have together too. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you 
for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.